We want to pick up in here with part two of our saying no to selfie series, hashtag selfie. And today we're going to specifically look at transforming our world through servanthood. And I fundamentally want to look at one major uh, passage of scripture today, but uh, we'll also touch on some other scriptures as well. And here we go. Got my remote all set. You guys doing okay? Good. Bless you. I'm glad you're here today. Thanks for being here. So, saying no to selfie. See on the opening slide here, we're going to, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about transforming our world through servanthood. The selfie, it's, it's a lot about me, isn't it? When you take a selfie, especially when you post it on social media, it's, it's about you. That's why they call it a, a selfie. And uh, I find this uh, incredibly wonderful whenever we get into conversations with people. There are people who are into conversational selfies. Never met anybody like this, that uh, when you start talking, it's as though they're kind of listening, but it's like they're waiting patiently the whole time, kind of like, okay, you, 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 me, 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 me. Let's talk about me now. Let's talk about me. Let's, let's talk about me. I'm awesome. Let's talk about me. And uh, I have great stories and wonderful things to share. And, oh, you cut in on me there. So you, 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 you. There's a break in the action. Oh, me, 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 me. And we love, we love to talk about ourselves. And uh, I'm thinking of this verse from Paul as he spoke to the church in Corinth. Speaking of uh, Jesus' death, I love this. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When I hear that scripture, I'm profoundly challenged in my heart. But fundamentally today, I want to look at this scripture from Philippians chapter 2, as Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He shared with them some thoughts about the attitude of Christ. And this is, as I mentioned, predominantly where we're going to focus today. When he encourages the church with these words, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In verse 3 there, where Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That, that's actually a combination of words there when he says vain conceit. You see it listed there on the screen. It's from two Greek words because when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the English language didn't exist yet. So he wrote in the popular language of the day, common man's Greek. And in the Greek language, he used this combo, word combo, kenodoxia. Keno meaning empty or void or vain and doxa meaning glory. And Paul says, don't do anything out of an, an empty or a shallow, self-seeking glory. But by contrast, he says, rather in humility, value others. And again, this is a compound word where humility is from two words. Uh, the first specifically, literally meaning Low lying, like when Jesus says, I am meek and lowly. That's, that's the same word he's using there, literally 
lying low, as opposed to standing upright, as opposed to being one who's adversarial and ready to, to fight. It's just, he's just lying low. But it's not just that lying low that the scriptures encourages us uh, to continually that state of low lying, but it's low lying thinking. And this is why Paul says, in humility, think of others in a low, in a humble thinking, not in a proud way, not in a stand up and fight kind of way, but in a, a gracious, humble way. Think of others first above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. That word in verse 3 there for vain glory, the contrast word, kenodoxia. Remember that word keno. We're going to come back to that in a second on the next slide. In verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. The same mindset. That's, again, the same root word as what you see on the screen there for humility. The mind, the low-lying mind have the same one that Jesus had, had. Not a proud mind, but just lowly, humble, meek. I find it fascinating in verse 5 that as Paul speaks to the church and says, in your relationships with one another, so he's laying out this context of relationship, he's encouraging us to have the same mindset as Jesus. And... With that thought as an introduction, he's about to share a whole bunch of thoughts in the following verses that come from a first century hymn. And you'll see on the next slide that these words are in, written in prose style. They're poetic in nature. They're, um, I don't know if they rhymed in the first century, likely not, but it's a popular song. It's something that would be stuck in the hearts and minds of people. And Paul's saying this. You need to have the same mind, the humble, low-lying mind that Jesus had. And you wonder, where is he going to go? He's probably going to talk about love. The same mind as Christ, he'll probably talk about love. That's kind of the earmark of Jesus. He was loving, so that's probably where he's going to go. Or maybe he's going to talk about faith. You need to have the same mindset as Jesus. You, you need to be faith-filled, believing for great things, the kind of prayers that will move mountains, even if they're mustard seed-sized prayers. They'll do incredible things. If I have... That kind of mind, a mind of love or a mind of faith, that's probably where Paul's going to go. And yet, he pulls a bit of a surprise here, pulling out this hymn. Speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. He, he, he kind of picks up a little bit on the love theme, but but it's expressed through servanthood. Hmm. And on this weekend, serve weekend, as so many have served and, and loved and, and given of their time and sacrifice, it's very appropriate to think of Jesus the one who totally was God in very nature, his very essence was God, but he didn't hang on to that. He didn't grasp at that, literally, using it to his own advantage. But by contrast, he made himself 
nothing. That singular word there, to make himself nothing, in the Greek language 2,000 years ago, kanao, is an incredible word. And, and a very contentious point, because the word literally means to empty. And why this is such a, a big deal theologically is, is how is this possible? Can, can God actually do this? Can Jesus come to earth and here's the possible implication. Could he empty himself of his divine nature? Could he cease to be God? And this is why some of the texts translate this rather than saying he emptied himself, he rather he made himself nothing. Because if Jesus did empty himself of his divine nature, he would cease to be God. And yet he was fully God inside skin. He put all the glory of God, Colossians says, all the glory of God dwelled in him in bodily form. So, so check this out. He's still fully God, fully man, God in flesh, the incarnate one, carne meaning flesh. He comes in the flesh. Still fully God, fully man. But again, the word we looked at on the last screen, he Paul challenges us to not be filled with selfish ambition or vain glory, empty glory, that same kenodoxa, the, the glory, but it's pointless, it's empty, it's superficial. Paul says, push that aside, and by contrast, he points out Jesus, who was filled with the glory of God, but check this out, he laid down his reputation. And he became of no reputation. The, the God king born in a feeding trough. Who does that? What king comes to reach out to his people to, to bridge a gap that is not possibly one that could be navigated in human effort. Jesus comes as the servant. And that's the whole point of this series. That's where we're at, talking about servanthood. He takes the very nature of a servant, or doulos. We'll look at that word in a minute. By being made in human likeness. And as if that wasn't enough, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. I mean, he's made this great sacrifice coming from heaven to earth, not to be born in a hospital or a palace, but again, in a stable in Bethlehem. I know we like to think of the manger in nice idyllic terms and shepherds gathered around. And, but come on, it was just a cesspool of bacteria. Cow drool. Sheep. It's not a pretty thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've You've made sacrifice to, to be here in Calgary, to, to live here, to work here. You've left behind your family to, to come and serve in, in your career. And I think of so many of our staff that have uh, left their ancestral homes and come just, just to love people in Calgary, to care about people. I know many of you are the same in your career, and, and there's a price to pay 
a sacrifice to leave home to come and love others. But Jesus didn't just come to love others. He became obedient to death and an accursed death, as the book of Deuteronomy talks about, where they plucked out his beard and spit on his face, where they mocked him, ridiculed him. Paul is painting an incredibly vibrant picture for us to see the sacrifice of Christ. And that is the context of of servanthood. It's not about we get to do it our way. Like when you come to serve, it's about how the master, it's how the boss wants it done. And Jesus didn't just come and change geography. He came to a very violent and hostile geography to obey the will of the Father. Wow. And then in verse 9, this is where the story turns around. This is the reward of the suffering servant. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That passage, Philippians 2, 1 to 11, that's one of my favorite in the entire Bible. Because I think it so typifies Jesus, the servant who willingly came. And may God bless those scriptures to our hearts today. I just want to look at that word servant, a slave, a bondsman, a, specifically in the male form, it's a man of servile condition. It's one devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interest. It's a, it's a servant, an attendant. It's one who gives himself up wholly to another's will. And here's the deal is Jesus invites us into this non-selfie lifestyle. There's no guarantees. There's, there's no promises in this life. There's a hint from the passage we read that, yeah, therefore God did highly exalt Jesus and gave him this powerful and authoritative name that we are sent out in. But we're not sent to conquer as much as we are because the nature of the kingdom is so often backwards to human thinking. We are sent to serve. Which leads me to the next verse. In Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man didn't come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A couple months ago, as we were looking through the theories of atonement, explaining why Jesus died, as we looked at Christ as victor or Christus victor, We also looked briefly at this verse, the ransom theory, and we focused on that word ransom. But today, just for a moment, I want to focus on the heart of service. When Jesus came as a ransom, that is where he was the one who voluntarily gave his life as a ransom. That whole act of expression was this beautiful act of serving, not coming to earth saying, here I am, I'm God, do what I want. You better do what I want or I'll get you. 
Instead, he comes as the suffering servant, the one who executes the commands of a master, the one who does common tasks. And so many yesterday were (laughs) chopping wood, hopefully not themselves, but chopping wood and carrying things, moving things, fixing things, cleaning things, and just serving as Jesus served. It's a beautiful expression of the heart of our Lord Jesus. We're getting a bit of understanding how down is the new up. And again, in the kingdom where the first is last, and the last is first, where the least are the greatest, and the greatest are the least. Jesus invites us to a position, a focus of, of down. When everything around us is dog-eat-dog and trying to get ahead, Jesus is inviting us mm-hmm, to get down. Hmm. Powerful words. I just want to apply this in the work context for a minute. A lot of times we see selfie culture in the workplace where being the ideal worker, you're expected to work long hours, be available 24-7, strong work ethic, lots of face time with others, but not too much. You need to keep to yourself, not be too needy. There's a lot of competition, jealousy, meanness in the workplace, insincerity, duplicity, and gossip. Sometimes silo mentality of independence. You don't want to be a bother to anyone. To be the, the perfect employee carries a lot of pressure. Ultimately, workplace can feel lonely, even though you're surrounded by other people. There's people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at your school, who are feeling isolated and alone. There are people that are just feeling discouraged. I know a lot of these people tend to lash out at others, or sometimes there's a meanness that they carry, but at the end of the day, I believe it's an opportunity for us to serve. So let me just apply these simple servant scriptures very quickly. And the first area I want to apply it is to the tongue. Uh, James said, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That tongue has the power of life and death. The book of Proverbs tells us. And as well... We have an option. We can either function in life or death, blessings or cursing. And yet the book of Deuteronomy encourages us to choose life. So that's why I just want to apply this for a moment in this area. From Paul's exhortation to the church in Thessalonica, therefore, he says, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact you are doing. This can make a huge difference in our places of employment. Just how we talk to each other, how, how we see folks at work and encourage them when you see them Monday morning. Hey, you look great. Is that your real face? He's not two-faced. If he was two-faced, why would he be wearing that one? <laughs> no, we don't want to be... <clears throat> we don't want to be sarcastic. We don't want to be mean with our co-workers. We, we want to bring them encouragement. And as you're praying for people in your workplace, I know there's lots of cliches I could throw at this point, like, you know, you're the only Bible they'll ever read, and... That's great. That's, but the essence of that is if we approach 
every word we share in the workplace the way Jesus would share and build other people up and, and encourage them and bring life to them instead of words of death. If we had servant-hearted words, we could make a great impact. Just want to share a quick story with you that I've entitled The Bicycler Encounter. Any of you know where Bicycler is? I didn't know where that was. Is, is Sam here? Sam Ramirez, are you here, Sam? Coming somewhere? Is he here? Come on up here for a minute, Sam. Let me go with the yellow mic for a minute. Yeah, Sam was working this past week in the Metropolitan Bisecker area, just northeast of Calgary. And uh, Sam shared this story with me. And it's not a sensational story, but it's just a really solid story. Come on over, Sam. Ladies and gentlemen, the lovely Sam Ramirez. Hold that nice and close. Thank you. Thank you very much. And what I appreciate about Sam, many of you know Sam from uh, the Mexico missions trip. And what's identified Sam to us is Sam is, I think, right across the board known as a servant-hearted guy. And uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to journey with you, bro. It's past year and a bit. Almost two years now we've been journeying together. Sam, tell me what you were doing up in Bicycle last week. Well, I've been in Bicycle for the last probably month. I've been, uh, I've been working, uh, doing what I do best, is painting. Mm -hmm. I think I do best on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exceptional. Painting. I should have bring a customer to tell you guys. Mm -hmm. So, Sam, what happened last week that was just an open door for you to to serve, to love somebody in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, every time I get a job, I, um, I do ask God that other than uh, having the blessing of the work, that there can be some doors open there for, for me to bring his word in it. Um, so I've been working there for a while. So time out for a second. So when you pray for the Lord to open doors to bring his word, you mean like you can yell at people? You can preach at them. You can tell them all the wrong things they're doing in their lives. You can say, repent, sinners. Is that what you're talking about when you say bring his word? You're scaring me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to think that way. But uh, okay. no, the door that I ask God is actually I ask him to specifically to bring people to open a conversation with me. So you just want to talk to people. That's it. And if they come and open the conversation with me, I want to see a door where I can bring his word because I don't want the, the glory for me, but I want to be able to bring his word into the people. So you're praying for this chance in Bicycle, and what happened? Uh, so I, was, I, I prayed at the beginning, and I keep praying, and nothing is happening. And one day I'm painting, and there is a receptionist lady that I've, I've talked to her, but not really talk to her and she came to me and she uh she just came and she started talking to me about her son and the problems that her son uh, has been facing for the last years and so for me that was that was it and uh, i got the opportunity to to talk to her about god so did you tell her that she was evil and that's why she was having problems in her life now, what kind of stuff did you share with her, Sam? Well, I said, you know, it's, it's something about being united. And we most likely want to be together, right? I said, we, we are mostly alone because we want to be alone. But I said, I want to be united with you but by praying for you, Sam. I said, if you allow me, I will bring this, this name with me 
and I will present it to the group that I was coming on the Friday. And I said, and we'll pray for you, son, and we unite with you um, in, in the prayer. Sam, I'm very glad that when you were talking to this lady about being united with her that you added the prayer part in because that just sounded kind of creepy where you were going, like you're hitting on this lady. But you offered to pray, and you, <laughs> and you did that. You, you took her name to your, your, your Friday night gathering, and, and you prayed for this lady. And, and how did she respond Like after, uh, after you shared that you are going to pray for her? Well, usually there is a silence, and, and she says, you know... Um, I wish there was more people like that, mm-hmm. and uh, and I th- and I thought, yes, mm-hmm. I, I wish that too. Mm-hmm. But there is, except that sometimes we don't break that silence, right? Mm-hmm. And as you were sharing this story with me uh, this week, you said that as you shared with her, she just a little bit of tear in her eye. Yeah, she had a tear in the eye because you know, as a parent, I felt her. She's been carrying this for so long with her son. And, and for some stranger guy say, you know, I am united with you. I think she find, she find some comfort. And, and my response was to her, you know, it's not really for me, but it's from the Lord. And um, he's always been there for mm-hmm. us. Beautiful. Sam, thanks for sharing that story with us. You're very welcome. Yeah, give Sam a hand. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it, Sam. You have my name. Yeah, I wanted Sam to just share that story briefly because, again, I know there's no... Wouldn't it be great if, you know, she had a great healing and she grew another limb or something or, you know, a whole olive bicycle came to Jesus that, you know, that afternoon. But how many of you know, like, with kingdom stuff, that this is, this is kind of how it rolls? Just little by little. You touch somebody here, you touch somebody there, you, you encourage your person and... This lady's just, she's touched by Sam's prayer and by his care. And, and for me, the big takeaway in the bicycle encounter isn't that there's a huge miracle or anything. It's that somebody was touched by the love of Jesus because Sam took a moment to share some positive things. Secondly, that kind of servanthood of loving people and speaking well There's a possible positive atmosphere as a new culture is created with a servanthood attitude that says, how can I help you? And again, you may think, well, I work in a godless place. There's not a lot of Christian people. It's a dog-eat-dog world and mean-spirited people, mean manager, mean boss, mean system or some kind of culture that's ungodly. But in the end... One in 300 can make a radical difference in a workplace, especially if you join up with someone else and just occasionally pray for your workplace. There's something incredibly transformative that happens. You can move the workplace from being adversarial to being in a a context of cooperative friendships. You can move it from being competition to kindness, from independence to helpfulness, from self-absorbed mindset to team mindfulness. I believe it's not just ministers that have a calling to serve. I believe every single person in this room is called to make a difference, is called to serve and to love the people around you, as Sam did in Bicycle. And, and you know Sam, he's, he's outgoing, there's a confidence on Sam's life, and yet, even though he can do it in the context of complete strangers with somebody that he's just met, I want to encourage you that you can make a difference with the people that you're rubbing shoulders with, people that you've maybe known for years or even decades to pray with them, to share the love of Jesus, to serve them as, as Jesus did. I, I think a lot of times we, we get hung up because we're very concerned about what people will think of us. A lot of those insecurities that were rooted in 
childhood teasing or, or mocking come to the surface again. And I think a lot of times we carry a confidence, post lots of selfies on Facebook or Instagram, but at the end of the day, Well, what the scripture says is what every man desires is unfailing love. And sometimes we become a little too concerned about self-image. We become a little too worried about what people are thinking about us and we miss an opportunity to serve. And again, this is the backward nature of the kingdom. There's there's actually something about the selflessness. Again, rather than promoting ourselves and getting all our selfies out there and, you know, good PR and people think we're wonderful because our, the things that we tweet are just so lovely. And yet, if you really want people to think well of you, Jesus taught us to serve. That if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you, you have to become the least. And he invites us into that posture of servanthood. Lastly, my third point. I think we need to move our conversations past selfishness. Past the me, 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 me thing into the you, 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 you. Yeah, I'm actually focused on you. Yeah, I'm actually listening to you. There's, there's a break in the conversation and I don't have a story. I actually want to hear more from you. And one of the best ways to do that, I'm just trying to be really practical with you as we wrap up here this morning, is by asking questions. Questions are actually, when it comes to the selfishness of conversation in a world that's selfie-absorbed. This is one of the greatest tools to break down walls, just an ability to caringly ask questions of people. When we ask questions, we, we bring clarity to a conversation that can be just kind of floating all over the place, but but well-timed and appropriately asked questions can bring clarity and flow to a, a conversation. You can demonstrate care and compassion for people who never get asked questions. It's incredibly sobering that someone would actually be interested in them enough to ask how their day was. Questions bring comforting confines. It says to people, you matter. I'm not going to dominate with my stories or my thoughts. It puts structure around conversation that makes it comfortable. It influences the direction of the conversation. It invites others. If you're in a group and there's somebody that seems to always be quiet, it sends a powerful message of invita invitation just to say, hey, what do you think? It empowers people to share their opinions. It helps them feel this wonderful sense of fulfillment and inclusion and affirmation. As I already mentioned, it brings direction and structure to the conversation, and it connects the people engaged in the conversation, especially to the outsiders who are brought in and invited to converse Asking questions has been recognized as a humble earmark of Christian character. And I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly. There's something tremendously beautiful about an inquisitive heart, as was the case with Sam Ramirez, just inviting somebody into a conversation, just asking her appropriately about her family, asking if he could pray for her. 
Today I'm just trying to be incredibly simple and inviting you both with your speech, with your attitude, and even with your questions to display the attitude of Christ, the suffering servant. One final question. What does Jesus think of me? I know sometimes we get concerned about what others think of us. But what does Jesus think about us? And this morning as the worship team comes to close, I want to invite you to open up your heart to this highly held value at SunWest, the attitude, the heart of the servant. And as the worship team leads us in this closing song, would you just prayerfully consider how can I serve? Colton so wonderfully last week took us through just a moment of listening prayer and asked us to allow the Lord to identify a person, an individual, to put, to put them in our hearts and, and then to ask the Lord, how can we serve them? And this morning, I'm going to ask you to dig a little deeper and ask the Lord to expose your motives. I know this week, as I've been preparing for this message, I, I'm profoundly challenged. When I look at the story of Jesus and his sacrifice. I remember studying this passage deeply 33 years ago. And I studied it because of all the options available in that class to do a paper on. This one looked the most challenging and it just, it intrigued me to study this passage, Philippians 2, 1 to 11. And I remember as I studied it, as I read through it, I remember not just once, but repeatedly just choking back tears thinking I'm so not this guy I'm so concerned about what others think and how other people look at me and and I remember praying then Jesus I, I want your heart I want to feel the way you feel. I don't want just the surface actions of doing what you did or saying what you said. I want it to be something really hitting the inside of me, actually changing my heart from the inside out. I want to be more concerned about what he thinks of me than what others think of me. And here I am like 33 years later, still in the same struggle. Would you join me today in just opening up your heart as the worship team leads us? And I'm going to come back in a minute and pray with you. So, I know this hasn't been my funniest sermon, my cleverest sermon. I was really hoping this wouldn't be a downer. But I've struggled as I prepared this week to recognize 
the sobriety of this message that Christ invites us in to serve. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The way of servanthood is not a glamorous message. It doesn't really mesh with a selfie culture of whatever social media you're into. And yet my heart is strangely and profoundly warmed today. As again this week, I embraced death. I'll tell you, it's really something as a pastor when you come to... Can I just be open with you for a minute here? You come to serve, you come to love. And yet, for some, there's frustration that expectations weren't met or... People weren't cared for well enough for Mark, you've been here two years and we're still not moving ahead the way we'd like to be. And to wrestle through that sense of failure. And please, this isn't a selfie that I'm looking for affirmation. I'm just being honest with you. As I search the motive of my heart, What am I doing here? Have I come to fail? (laughs) Kinda, yeah, because I've come to serve. Not to be served, but to give. And today I invite you into that profoundly messy journey of not being perfect, of of not measuring up in so many areas, but saying, God, I need you. If I'm going to love people, if I'm going to transform my world, God, I need you to make a difference in here. Start right here and change my heart. The call today is a simple one. I mentioned earlier, down is the new up. And today I invite you into that posture, that attitude of heart that says, God, I need you like I've never needed you before. God, as a church, we, we need you like we've never needed you before. I don't know if you saw it, but our uh, annual general meeting's coming up a week from today, and some of you already took a sneak peek at the reports And I'd encourage you, if you haven't read through the reports, could I ask you to read mine? You know, just just to do something different. (laughs) I know, I know a lot of you get the annual report report and print it off and say, oh good, kindling. (laughs) But... uh, I want you to read it because servanthood is a difficult journey. And I very openly share some uh, very personal stuff in that report. So, Father, thank you for Sun West. Thank you for these incredibly normal people who are not by any means average. Because they're the kind of people that lay aside their own agenda to love others, encourage others, and help others. Thank you for the servant heart we see every year in in Mexico. And thank you for others who serve in Thailand and El Salvador and 
different places around the globe. Thank you for those that serve here to to love on our adopted refugee family. Thank you for the many who helped serve yesterday and over at McKenzie Campus, various locations today. Thank you that this is a, a family, a community of believers that loves to serve. Father, would you just take our hearts today and anything that's selfie in us, anything that's looking just for for affirmation or acceptance from anyone other than you. Father, we just give you our hearts today. Please transform us from the inside out so that we can transform our world. Father, I just declare over these choice servants today your assurance, your your love, the the pleasure of your affirmation. The voice that is declared over your people that perpetually says, not just in the end, but even now says, well done, good and faithful servants. At the end of the day, Father, that's all we want is to please you, to bring a smile to your face. Father, today we say that we love you. We are your people the sheep of your pasture. I decree and declare grace, protection, covering, health, safety, every bit of provision in body, soul, mind, and spirit for this, your people. Cover us with your pleasure and let us rest in your greatness, knowing that to know you is life eternal. We pray in the precious name of God our Father, of his servant Son, and the loving Holy Spirit, who is with us now and always. Amen. If you need prayer today, please join us under the prayer banner. Bless you. Have a wonderful week as you serve the King. Bless you. Thanks for being here.